right. Hey, we welcome you back. I was going to see if we had somebody. Uh, got uh, J- the wits watching this morning, and Jamie and Yesenia, Terry. Craig is watching. All right. Carmen Sage. Good. We welcome them all this morning. All right, we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 49 this morning. I'll let you, in the Old Testament, Isaiah is considered the gospel of the Old Testament just because it has so many uh, prophetic passages in it that align with the New Testament about Christ's coming. So, um, yeah, it is just very vivid in what... So Sherry read just that passage from Isaiah 9 that talks about um, Christ coming, being the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, mighty God, everlasting Father. So in our Advent series, which we started last week, Advent means coming. So um, there's two, two aspects of Advent that we hit. One is His first coming, right? And so we celebrate His first coming to, to earth as a babe. In human form, we call that the incarnation. And then um, Advent also is in the aspect of that his second coming, the second coming of Christ. And so um, you got the two aspects of that. But in Isaiah, the second half of Isaiah, and I say the second half because the first part of Isaiah deals with them before they go into captivity in 586 B.C., all right. It's just kind of a pivotal moment in Israel and in the history of Israel. Um, you know, God gives them this land, which is mainly what we know as Israel now, and that is the promised land to them. And they come in and they inherit that. They have to go and do war and stuff like that, but they inherit it. And uh, but because of their disobedience, God finally says, "I've had enough." So in 722, God takes care of northern Israel. They're divided at that time, north and south. And they, Assyria takes them from the north, and they become captives up there. And then in 586, Nebuchadnezzar would come in and uh, take Jerusalem, destroy the temple. Um, that's where you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Ezekiel. Um, Jeremiah is a prophet during that time. We don't know if he's taken as a captive back up to Babylon or if he uh, ends up someplace else. But both Isaiah and Jeremiah are prophets during this time. And so the first part of Isaiah is written before they go into captivity and says, hey, let's get your act together because if you don't change your ways, you're going into captivity. And so the prophets are, are saying what they're supposed to be saying and saying turn back to God and it's just like it's water off of a duck's back. right? They don't heed it. And they don't listen. And so God sends in Nebuchadnezzar. Um, they're taken to Babylon. Some people stay. Many are taken as captives. Many are killed And uh, in that process. They're there 70 years, and then God brings them back. And so the second half of Isaiah is after that. So that begins in chapter 40. And it, it's written to the people coming back out of exile. And so it's warm. It's encouraging It's uplifting and saying, hey, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to restore the the kingdom of Israel. All right? 
And so these uh, passages, there's four passages, though, in the second half that are called the Servant Songs. Servant Songs. And so I'm entitled the Advent series, The Servant King. So last week was the Merciful King. Today is the Missional King. And so we looked at Isaiah 42 last week. We're going to look at Isaiah 49 um, this week. And so these passages are just vivid um, looks at who Jesus, the servant king, would be. Much of it has been fulfilled. Some of it is still yet to be fulfilled um, when Christ returns the second time and rules and reigns on earth. Okay? All right. The servant king. The missional king. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 49, 1 through 6 to begin with. It's actually 1 through 13, but we're going to take a look at those first six verses. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I pray that you give us hearts that are open uh, to what you want to speak to us. Uh, We just ask for the power of your Holy Spirit here. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's look at this passage together, starting in verse 1, Isaiah 49. It says, listen to me, you islands. Did anybody look up how many times islands is mentioned in the book of Isaiah? That was your homework, remember, from last week? Did anybody do it? All right. Okay, I think it's 14 times. All right. Hear this, you distant nations. But before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He had made me a mouth like a, a, a sharpened sword. In the, sh- in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Now, we have to understand that in this situation, he says, you are my servant, Israel. So, We have to remember that before Israel was a nation, Israel was a person. Who was given the name Israel? He wrestled with God. He was called a deceiver. He was a victor. What was his name? God touches his hip. And he gives him a new name. And his name was Israel. And his first name was Israel. Jacob, Jacob, yeah. And after that encounter, he says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel, okay? Um, And so we have to remember that it is then through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, that would come Christ, right? And so um, this is a reference, you are my servant, Israel. So it's through um, that lineage that God would display his splendor. All right. But I have said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, who says he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my strength and my God has been my strength. And he says, it is a too small of a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I have kept. The first thing that we see of the the servant king and being missional is that the servant king would bring Israel back to God. The servant king would bring Israel back to God. 
So, um, God would allow Israel to go into captivity, into exile. It would be a time of discipline. It was like on a big, huge timeout. Okay, you ever put your kid on a timeout? Okay. All right, Sierra, have you ever had a timeout? No, maybe, yeah. So God says, hey, you guys are disobeyed. I'm putting you on a timeout for 70 years in Babylon. And then he brings them back. All right? And during that time of discipline, God says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore you. Not only to a place of restoration, but also your hearts towards God. Okay? All right? And so God's plan was never to destroy Israel for their sin and disobedience. Rather, it was to correct them and to restore them. And so when we, uh, we use that term serving king, Jesus was, he was to bring Israel back to God. Now, it also mentions that the humanity, that this servant would be born, you know, in the womb, conceived in the womb and give birth. Um, and so we see there even a reference to that the servant would come in, in fleshly form, right? Um, that God would be clothed with flesh, be incarnate, all right, and live amongst us. That's what John 1 talks about, born of a woman. God would use Jesus, born in the flesh, to bring the hearts of Israel back to him. Now, let's shift a little bit to the New Testament, okay? And Jesus is ministering up in northern Galilee. So if you look at Israel, the Sea of Galilee is in the north. He's ministering up there. He kind of grew up in that area, right? And there's a Canaanite woman there. And we see this in Matthew 15, 21 through 28. And it says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman came from that vicinity, came to him. And she cried out to him, saying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. But Jesus did not answer a word. You know, didn't we just talk about Jesus was going to be the merciful king? All right? But Jesus said, did not answer a word. And the disciples came to him and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. She's a nuisance to us. Wow. Man, those disciples, aren't they just that compassionate people? And Jesus answered, says, I was only sent to who? The lost sheep of Israel. To bring them back. And we'll see that a lot of the ministry of Jesus was to the Jewish people that had lost their way. That were lost sheep. Remember the parable of the lost sheep? And to bring them back. But the woman, she's not going to give up. She came and knelt before him and says, Lord, help me, exclamation mark, right? And he replied, it is not right for me to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she says, because even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. Go, your request is granted and your daughter and her daughter was healed at that moment. And if you go through the Gospels, you're going to see where Jesus would even pray for a, centuri- um, for a Roman soldier. I think it was a centurion. Pray for his son or for their child, and they would be healed, right? And so we see that Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, but he was also sent to others. Jesus was committed to bringing those back in Israel that had lost their way in their hope in God 
And he was a servant king that was going to display mercy, but he was also going to be intentional about reaching the people that had lost the way. But that leads to our second principle, and that's found in the second part of verse 6 and, and then through 7. And it says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles. So it's this reference to this servant king. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. All right, so in context of Israel, would we be the ends of the earth? Maybe, maybe, maybe Antarctica or, or the North Pole would be the ends of the earth. But all nations. Verse 7, this is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. To him who has, was despised and abhorred by the nation to the servant of the rulers. Was Jesus despised? Yeah, he was, wasn't he? And crucified. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Secondly, we see that the servant king would be a light to all nations. You know, Israel is mentioned in the Old Testament as God's chosen people. Okay? And many of the Jews saw this, that it was only that the Jews would be included in God's plan of salvation. Now, we could see how that could happen, right? If you're kind of like you're the chosen child, you'd think, hey, the world revolves around me and that nobody else, right? Okay, Maybe you parented one of those kids. I don't know. Um, maybe you were one of those kids. I don't know. Um, but many of the Jews saw that God's plan of salvation only included the Jewish people. But verse 6 is very clear. It says that this servant king would not only restore the tribe of Jacob and Israel, but this servant would also be a light to the Gentiles. So the passage that Sherry read says, in the land of Naphtali, Naphtali and Zebulun, there is a light that has shone, right? Okay, so Matthew picks up on Isaiah again there and quotes that passage from Isaiah. That's where it came from. And, um, and talks about that. So 42, chapter 42, last week, verse 6 said, the servant king would be a light to the Gentiles. So both of these first two servant songs refer to the servant king being a light to the Gentiles. And then Matthew 4, 15 through 16, which is what Sherry read from Isaiah, says in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so the servant king was going to restore Israel, bring those people that had lost their way, bring them back to God. But also he was going to reach, he'd be a light to the Gentiles. Now, that's a good thing, right? Because how many of you are Gentiles? I am. Yeah, I'm a German Gentile, right? Got some Norwegian right in there and maybe some Swede. My wife, you know, she's quarter Jewish. Yeah. My, yeah, my, no, my wife's half. My wife's half. Kids are quarters. So, um, so technically, they could still be considered part of the Jewish people. But God's had a plan to not only reach the Jews, but also all people. And while the Old and New Testaments both mention that Jesus would be a light to all people, including the Gentiles, most of the Jewish population missed it. Okay, And even after walking with Jesus for three and a half years and ministering with Him, 
They still missed it. They still missed it. Because in Acts chapter 10, Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's ascended to be with the Father. And He's on the rooftop waiting for supper to be made. He can smell it. Mmm, smelled pretty good, right? Just like maybe you have a crock pot going, right? Okay, do you? Because I know where I'm going for lunch. All right, all right, all right. Um, he could smell it. He's just waiting, right? And as he's in that hungry state on the rooftop, all of a sudden God gives him a vision, right? And it's of all these animals of what? That were unclean. What does that mean? There was pork, right? Pork and maybe some kind of reptiles. But it was all animals that were considered unclean for the Jewish people, right? They weren't kosher. And he has the dream and the vision, and the vision says, get up and eat. And Peter's saying, no way, I can't touch that. Comes a second time, and Peter says, no way. And the third time. And then God prepares him, hey, there's a Gentile. There's somebody that's going to come to your door. I want you to go to them. And so he goes to Cornelius' house, a Roman centurion, who by the Jewish people would be considered outside the plans of God. And he goes and he preaches. They receive the gospel message. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that household embraces Christ, right? And then we know that Paul's ministry, once he is converted, he would dedicate most of his time to the Gentile people. He'd go first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. What we need to catch is that Israel was chosen in the sense that they were God's people that would display His glory in the presence so that other people would believe and place their hope and trust in God. You following me? They were chosen to be God's light to the world around them. That God could display His presence, His glory, His goodness, His blessing in them. And other people would say, wow, I want to be part of that as well. See, it wasn't that they were to be exclusive and that God's plan was just for them. It was that they would be a light to the world around them. You know, it's so easy to think that God only is reaching out to us. You know, just like Israel... You and I are to be what? A light to the world around us, right? Yeah, God has reached out to you. He's called you. He's chosen you, Ephesians says. Before, He's chosen you and He's redeemed you. But it doesn't mean that it's just because for you, it's so that you can be a light to the world around you as well. This is what Roman Paul says in Romans 15, 8 through 12, really ties in. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on the behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing the praises of your name. In other words, they're going to see what God is doing in Israel and give praise to God. Say, I want part of that. And again, it says, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with His people. Verse 11, again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. The one who will arise to rule over the nations in him, the Gentiles will put their hope. That's in Isaiah as well. That's why it is called the gospel of the Old Testament. Now, the root of Jesse, what's the root of Jesse? What's that all about? Is that a plant, right? You ever grown the root of Jesse, right? It wasn't a plant. It was a tree, and that tree was a beautiful tree, just beautiful. It had a name. Its name was Israel, 
And it gave light, it gave shade, it gave, it showed forth the beauty of God. But that tree disobeyed. It sinned and refused to repent. And so God took out his steel chainsaw and went, and chopped it off. But he did not call the guy and bring the stump grinder. The stump still stayed there. Stayed there for 70 years. And then after that 70 years or longer, all of a sudden, it was actually probably several hundred years, because all of a sudden a shoot comes up from that stump. And Isaiah mentions a branch will come forth, a shoot will come forth. And that was a reference to who? To Christ. That out of the root of Jesse, who is Jesse? Jesse was the father of David through the lineage of Christ. And it's out of that that God says, you know what, I'm going to raise up a nation. What do we learn there? We learn that God could have easily destroyed Israel and says, I'm done with you. There's no plan for you. I'm going to start over again. In fact, God and Moses had that discussion in the wilderness, and God says, I'm going to leave him go. And Moses says, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> and they, they, Moses kind of stepped in and interceded for the people of Israel. But God did not desert him. Yes, he cut off the tree and the stump, but he says, you know what? The promise is still there. It's going to come back. And I gained so much hope from the, the Old Testament. Why? Because I see how God worked with Israel and it gives me hope how He works with you and I. That you know what? Have we all sinned? Yes. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, haven't we? And that deserves God's punishment and it deserves God's death. But God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. And He gives us hope. And just as we see how God had grace and mercy with Israel, it gives us hope that God will have grace and mercy with you and I. That He's not going to forget His covenant that He made and that He is going to be faithful. His steadfast love will be there. Yeah, will He discipline? Yeah, He, did, he will. He maybe will take us to the woodshed if we need it. Okay? He did Israel. And if we sin, He may take us there too. God is gracious and He is merciful, but He also loves us enough that He will discipline. Right? As a parent, if you love your child, you just don't let them do whatever they want to do. You discipline them. Why? Because you love them. God loves you so much that He's not just going to let you go your own way. He's going to discipline. But He's also going to bring you back. You know, one of the great stories in the Old Testament is Rahab, right? Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho, right? And so the Israelites are coming into the promised land after wandering out in the wilderness for 40 years. They finally come in. They cross the Jordan River. Jericho's the first city that they hit. But they sent in you know, spies to kind of scope out the land, right? And Rahab, probably maybe from her customers or the reports of travelers coming through, reported what was happening with the, Ild with the Israelites out in the wilderness she goes, man, you know, the stories of God providing manna and the, and the quail and the Red Sea, they, you know, those stories get out there. And her gods weren't able to do that. She even wondered probably if her gods even cared about her. And then she probably didn't, who knows what she thought of herself because of what she did.
to make a living. But two men come to her place seeking refuge. She could easily turn them over to authorities. Authorities come in looking for these men. Instead of turning them over, she puts her life on the line and hides those two spies. They search her house. She hid them. She lets them escape through the window because her, her home was on the, on the wall and had a window that went outside. And so she lets them down on a scarlet rope, right? And the spy said, you know what? If you have this cord out the window when we come in to take the land, you and your household, who's ever in this house, will be spared. And that, that's a beautiful thing. And so she had that scarlet cord out there. Her life is spared and her family. But it doesn't end there because we know that she is then brought into the tribe of Israel. And beyond that, she marries. And she has children. And beyond that, she's in the lineage of Christ. And so if that doesn't display God's mercy, His compassion and sovereignty, I don't know what does. Because she was a Gentile, we would consider her a sinner. We all are, right? But we say some people are worse than others, right? We feel that way. But we see God's plan of salvation. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 through 10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know what? God has a plan for, He had a plan for Israel, but He has a plan for your life. And He reached out to you and I in mercy. And now He wants us to... Let that mercy shine out to other people and say, you know what? Let your light shine before the world around you. Amen? You following me? So the servant king would restore Israel, but it also, he would also be a light to the Gentile world. Verses 18 through 13. Let's bring it home here. And it says, this is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you in the day of salvation. I will help you. I will keep you and I'll make you to be a covenant for my people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. And they will neither hunger nor thirst, nor the, will the desert heat or the sun beat them on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and, and lead them beside waters, springs of water. And I will turn all the mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. In other words, just make things level. And see that they will come from afar, from the north, and some from the west, and some from the region of Aswan. I'm not even sure where that is. We'd have to look that up. And shouts of joy, you heavens. Rejoice, O you earth. Burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts His people and will have compassion on His afflicted ones. The immediate application of these verses would be that Israel coming out of captivity, out of Babylon, and how God would restore them and comfort them and restore. They brought them out of captivity. He brought them out of their discouragement. He would restore what had been taken from them. Has life ever taken anything from you? Maybe health? Maybe finances? Maybe family? Sometimes it's because of our own sin. Sometimes it's because of life, right? 
We've all sinned, though. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But God's plan for them is He was going to restore them. Right? He's going to restore them. And I believe the, it applies to us as well that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The plans that God has for our lives. We've all, you know, God had us to hit the target and we just, we fall short. I was looking up a quote this week and it says that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Should I re- sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's why sin is so deadly is that it's kind of like, oh, I can just go do this and God will forgive me. No, because it has that attractional pull. You sin once and then... It draws you back and it gets your it gets its fingers into you and it's hard to break free. Hmm. But the beautiful thing that we see in the Old Testament is how God interacted with Israel. He extended his grace and mercy to them, sometimes his discipline. But he never abandoned them, he never destroyed them. His goal is always to restore. And I find hope in that because I believe in our lives that is God's plan for our lives. He extends grace and mercy so that we can be brought into a relationship with Him to have our sins forgiven and to walk with Him and to be in relationship with Him. He wants to restore us, to refresh us. Like the bruised reed or the smoldering wick from last week we talked about, God is all about restoring our relationship with Him and restore to us what has been lost. And God did that through sending His Son to die on the cross for you and I. That's what Christmas is all about. Amen? I'm going to have the musicians come. God loves us, and He wants us to be in relationship. Even more, He wants to be in relationship with you. Not just all people. Yes, it's all people. But you. If you're here, you're hearing this, you're listening online, God wants to be in relationship with you. And you say, ah, I don't know. You don't know who I am, Pastor Brent. I serve God one minute, next minute I'm not so much there. Yeah, that's part of being human, isn't it? We talked about that in youth group on Wednesday night. Paul says, hey, what I want to do, I don't do. What I do, I don't want to do. Right? can be something totally insignificant as such as a a cookie sitting on the counter. It's kind of like, I don't want that cookie. I don't need that cookie, but I want it, right? You eat it, right? That's pretty consequential, except for the calories. But there's other things that are of greater significance, right? But God came to you and I, and I the part that always still that I marvels me and is mysterious to me is that God loves me and wants to be in relationship with me. And the same would be true with you. God loves you. That's why He sent His Son. Even into your mess, if you have a mess in your life, God came into that. And God ultimately 
would send his son to the cross for you and I so that we could have peace with God and peace with him. Sin would be removed. Man. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. I, there's maybe some here that's the first time, but I, I just sense in my heart that God is even want to restore some things in people's lives this morning. And I don't know what happened in your life this week or even the past 24 hours. But maybe there's some things there that just, you know, just between you and God, it didn't glorify Him. It wasn't God honoring. But the beautiful thing, God says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus reached out to people with grace and mercy, but he also said, hey, now go and sin no more. That's a tough thing. But we should sin less and less and less. You following me? Yeah. And we can only do that, not in our own human discipline, but only through Christ, his mercy, his grace, and his strength. So would you join me in a prayer this morning? And Maybe this is the first time. Maybe you pray with me every Sunday, but maybe God is just needing to put some things back in the right place in your own heart and your own life this morning. We call that rededicating your life to Christ. Maybe that needs to happen today. So would you pray with me and say, Dear God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my wanderings. Come into my heart cleanse me and purify me. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so if you can just keep your eyes closed, but if you prayed that for the first time or you just rededicated your life to Christ this morning, just brought things back where they needed to be, would you just get my attention, look at me, just look squarely at me and just say, yep, that's me, Pastor Brent. God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Several. Lord God, um, just as Israel was your treasured possession that is still spoken over you, everyone here this morning, anyone listening online, we are your treasured possession that have been called out of darkness into your glorious light to declare the praises of God. As you work your healing, as you work your restoration in our lives, we become the light that testifies of the goodness of God. And so, Lord, may we live our life as an offering to you. May it bring you the glory and the praise that is due your name. Hallelujah. We ask this in the name of Jesus.